The Old Testament lesson today is Psalm 118, verses 1 through 2 and 19 through 29. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches, up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. The New Testament lesson is from Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. <clears throat> After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Well, over the past couple of weeks through the season of Lent, we have been talking about this concept of means of grace. And means of grace is a Wesleyan expression. John Wesley uh, used this to describe what we might know more familiarly, familiarly as spiritual disciplines. Uh, but he used the expression means of grace to say these are the channels, the paths by which we experience God's grace more intimately, the ways we grow closer to God. And over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about uh, individual works of piety. These are the acts of devotion that we ourselves do, like reading the Bible or praying. 
Then we talked about communal acts of piety. These are things like uh, coming together in worship or meeting together in small groups. Then we looked at individual acts of mercy. These are the things that we as individuals can do for others and showing kindness and, and compassion to other people. And then we looked at communal acts of mercy in which we as a community can work for justice, can work to make a difference in our community. And then last week we looked at the sacraments, how they kind of take all of that into place. And as we come before God in baptism and Holy Communion, we encounter this new life and this sustenance as we are invited into uh, the, life, uh, the life and household of God. And so as we've talked through all of these means of grace, these channels by which we draw closer to God and by extension God's saving grace, we are left with one question. Well, I don't know if you are, but I have been. Why do we need grace? Why do we need to be saved? And, you know, we could come up with the answers like, well, you know, if we're not, then hell's waiting for us. We could throw that one out there, make it really light. Really, though, I mean, if we think about this, all the other mythical gods that have ever been have been quite content to let people suffer to their own devices. And, you know, whatever happens to humanity happens to humanity. Our God, on the other hand, is a God who says we need grace and a God who offers it freely. In other words, we need grace because God wants us to have it, because God wants us to experience salvation. We are also a people constantly getting ourselves into trouble or experiencing hardship or suffering in some way, shape, or form. It's just a part of life. And that's not necessarily a good excuse for it happening, but suffering happens in life. It does. On grand scales like that that's going on in Ukraine right now, to even the individual scale and the things that we as individuals go through in a, on a daily basis, suffering happens in our life. And so we know that we need saving because we look at the state of the world around us, the mess that we've made and the, mess that was, the messes that we've fallen into, and we realize that we can't do this alone, that we, we just can't. We might be able to get through it some way or another, but we can't do it alone. So we, like the people in Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago on that day of Jesus' triumphal entry, we cry out with them, Hosanna. What a fascinating word. Anybody know what the word Hosanna means? I'll give you a hint. It's not a word of praise. It means save us. Hosanna, save us. We beseech you. Yeah, it actually comes from Psalm 118, which was our Old Testament lesson this morning, which says... Uh, which says, this is the day, this is verse 24, I'll start a little bit into it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Then verse 25, save us, we beseech you, O Lord. Or, if you were to look at the Hebrew, Hosanna, O Lord. 
Hosanna, save us, we beseech you. O Lord, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? It's the same liturgy we use, uh, or the same words we use in our communion liturgy. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We get this from Psalm 118. Hosanna, save us. Not so much a word of praise, but of asking, of begging for salvation. And so as we cry out with our own hosannas, save us, God is already responding. You see, the people who are following Jesus through, tri through Jesus' triumphal entry, they're crying out, Hosanna, save us, because they're under Roman occupation. They're under an oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, if you've been in any of the Bible studies, you've heard me talk about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and how Rome and the Roman officials would do anything to keep the peace of Rome. Anything. And that often led to pretty intense oppression and really high taxes. Taxes that the people couldn't afford to pay. And so the people cry out, save us, we beseech you. We need somebody who's going to come in and turn our world around because we're suffering. We need, sal we need salvation. We need to be saved from these circumstances. And many scholars see that a lot of them were looking for a king to come in to overthrow the Roman rule and to restore Israel as a great nation. And metaphorically, I suppose that's what happened, but that's not what Jesus came to do on the outset, not in such a concrete way. Jesus didn't come as a victorious king looking to conquer Rome and restore Israel as a, as a global empire, but rather Jesus came humbly to sacrifice himself, that all might receive a greater, deeper salvation. And this is God's response known as grace. Now, we might know the expression, by all means, right? What does that mean, to do something by all means? Yeah, what, whatever it takes, by any means necessary, by all of our resources. Uh, I thought about applying this to the grace that was uh, shown on this day, but I recognized something that I hope you will too, is that this grace is something that is coming to us beyond all means. Not just by all means, but beyond all means. Beyond what we could ever accomplish is what I mean by that. Beyond what we could ever accomplish. I want you to consider for a moment how we gain favor with other people. And what I mean by that is we're social creatures. We've talked about this before. We're social creatures, and because of that, we like to be in each other's favor. We don't like to cause conflict with people we care about because we want to stay in each other's favor. And so what are some ways that we might try to stay or gain, uh, stay in or gain the favor of others? Any thoughts? I'll tell you the ones that people typically go to. Power, wealth, fame, networking, things like that. Uh, being able to have something that somebody else doesn't have makes it really easy to gain their favor. Why? 
because you have something that somebody else could use, something that somebody else could connect with. We really gravitate towards famous people because they're famous. Why wouldn't we, right? A celebrity is just a normal human being, except we've said they're worth a little bit more because of their fame. The same with wealthy people or people in power. But it's not just those type of things that we use to gain favor. Uh, a little bit about my story, which you've heard before. Uh, I have a tremendous amount of social anxiety. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like unreasonable how much social anxiety I have. Uh, and I've, I've learned to cope with it and manage it and take medicine for it at times and stuff like that. And I see a therapist for it and all that stuff. And it's nothing that I'm ashamed about. It's just a part of my existence. Uh, but it's the kind of social anxiety that has me wondering whether or not you hate me on like a constant basis or whether or not I'm a burden to you. Whenever I have a conversation with another person, I'm constantly wondering, am I saying the right things or am I pushing this person away? And so sometimes I end up pushing people away just so I don't push people away. And it's terrible irony that I live in every single day. And, uh, and so I, I started trying to figure out ways that I could work through this whenever I was younger, particularly in high school, which by the way, high school is where the time where I first started actually making friends uh, because I couldn't figure out how to do it before then. Uh, I did have friends at, before then, but they were mostly my cousins, and you know they were required to come to my birthday parties. Uh, <laughs> so it wasn't until high school that I actually had friends because I started figuring out how to actually be around other people and you know connect with them and gain favor with them. And the way that I figured out that was made most sense for me was to be useful to people. If I could be useful to somebody, then that would mean they would want me around because I could do something for them that maybe they couldn't do for themselves. And so uh, I became what uh, my dad calls a renaissance man. I just became really good, or I guess I should say really mediocre at a lot of things. Uh, like a lot of things, like far too many things. Like, you want me to work on your car? I can do it. If you want me to work on your computer, I can do it. If you need something that you don't know how to do for yourself, I'll learn how to do it if it means I can be useful and helpful to you. That's the kind of person I became, doing anything and everything just to gain favor with the people that I was around because that was the only way that I could calm those anxieties and say, if they don't want me around for being a friend or being who I am, at least they'll want me around because I can do something for them. And, you know, that's not, I don't think that's necessarily an uncommon experience, and many of us do like being useful, and even as I've learned healthier ways to approach my relationships other than that, although that still sneaks in at times, and I've realized that being useful isn't the best way to be in a relationship with people, it's still something that's nice, it's nice to be needed or wanted or helpful. I had this notion that if I can do enough by any means necessary, if I could just do enough, then I will be good enough. And believe it or not, this started to sink into my relationship with God as well. If I could just do enough, then I could be good enough for God. Because that's the way the world works, right? That's the only fair way. You get what you earn. If you work for it, then you, you deserve it. If you don't work for it, then you don't deserve it, right? 
That's just the way the world works. It's the only fair way. But then I heard a line in a song by Reliant K, if anybody remembers that band. <laughs> uh, they're, they were like in the early Christian contemporary movement and also kind of like the beginning stages of the punk and alt-rock movement. <laughs> uh, but they, they had a song um, that had this one line in it that I'll never forget. The beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. And I want you to consider that. The beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. Because I understood that the only fair way to get through in life was to be useful enough, to be good enough, because you get what you earn, or you, you earn what you work for. You get what you strive for. And so if I'm working for these relationships, then maybe I could be good enough and deserve them. But the beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. There is no possible way for us to earn grace. Because, number one, it comes to us out of the generous love of God. God gives it freely out of love, out of compassion. Because God looks upon each and every one of us and says, I love you and you are worthy. Not because of anything that we've ever done. Or not because of anything that we will ever do. But simply because we are. And because God is who God is. And the second reason that there's no possible way for us to earn grace is because it has already been given. It has already been given. And there's nothing that we can do to make God take it back. God has freely given grace to each and every one of us. In the United Methodist Church, we refer to this as prevenient grace or grace that goes before. Before we were even conceived of, God's grace was for us. Before we were even aware of who God is, God's grace was for us. God's grace goes before us. And it goes beyond all means for us. And we see that in the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry itself was for us. Jesus took this sort of death march and while his disciples may not have recognized this, even though he told them, he knew that that's what it was. This death march toward Jerusalem where he would be crucified in just a few short days. That's a pretty heavy thing. You might notice in scripture that it says that his disciples set him on the colt. Some scholars believe that his disciples set him on the colt because he couldn't get up there himself because he was so weary from the thought of what he was about to ride into. Whether that's true or not, you know, it's an assumption in Scripture, but he knows what he's going to. But he doesn't do it for himself. In fact, even to the, we get to the point right before, uh, whenever he's praying in the garden, and he asks God to take this cup from him, but if not, then God's will be done. Jesus doesn't do it for himself. His triumphal entry and everything following was for us. You see, it was a grace that rode through Roman-occupied streets for us. It was grace that challenged the religious standard for us. It was grace that marched toward the cross for us triumphal entry, every part of that was for us. 
And the people may think that they're doing uh, Jesus a favor by waving their palm branches and laying out their cloaks, but they don't realize the bigger picture, that Jesus is riding through Roman-occupied streets where he is a threat to the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, because he could potentially be another king who's coming in to overthrow uh, Caesar's rule. But he does it for us. And as he's riding in, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, tell him to stop to, to stop his disciples from shouting what they're saying because it's blasphemy, it's heresy in their eyes. And Jesus says, if they stop, then the stones themselves will cry out. It's important for their worship to come. And as he marches on toward the cross, it is for us. That sacrifice, all for us, that's grace. And as magnificent as it is to encounter this grace we must also understand that such grace still demands our response, that we respond to it. It is a free gift handed to us, but a gift can only be received if we're willing to respond, right? And so we see that the saving grace of Christ is for us, and also it works through us and our means what we can provide. I love the fact that uh, Jesus tells his disciples to go into town and find a colt tied up. And he tells them, if somebody asks you what you're doing, tell them the Lord needs it. Consider the humility in all of this. The Lord needed something that somebody else had. I mean, this is, this is Jesus. Like the Jesus who's been doing all of these miracles. He could have looked down at the dust and said, arise, donkey, and boom. And all of those celebrated works that, he, that people are going to be celebrating here in just a few would have increased because Jesus could have just brought a donkey out of thin air. But instead, says the Lord needs it. Somebody else's donkey. In other words, we see here that Jesus is working the salvation story through what we can do. Not to earn our grace, but to spread that grace, to allow that story of grace to continue to unfold in the world around us. And then the people cry out, Hosanna, responding to his entrance, because they see that here comes somebody who's able to do something about their situation, and they must respond. That grace is riding through, and their, their very experience has them desiring to respond. And then... The Pharisees tell him, tell Jesus to make his disciples keep silent. And Jesus tells the Pharisees that even if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is a reference right here, by the way, to four other points in Scripture, which we don't have time to go into today, but where uh, the stones are referenced as being the keepers of people's deeds and actions and the history of the world. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that the stones know better than you do that praise is warranted during this moment. That this grace that's riding through Roman-occupied streets, that's challenging the religious standard, that's marching toward the cross, that kind of grace is worthy of a response. And so... I want to challenge each and every one of us today to respond to grace, that saving grace that marched for us, that saving grace that came to us without merit, 
There was nothing that we could do to earn God's favor. God simply looked upon us and said, you are worthy. And my goodness, how many times I've pushed back against that, trying to do enough to be worthy. But God has said, I've already called you worthy. So we don't work to be called worthy. We simply strive to respond to grace. God's grace comes to us freely, without merit, but we still must respond. And that's what this conversation on means of grace have been about all along, that we, have, we are responding to God's grace in our individual and communal works, in our works of piety and our works of mercy, and as we come before God in the sacraments. You see, if Jesus' disciples don't respond to grace, then the stones will. Because that's how powerful this grace is, that somebody needs to respond. And if it has to be the stones, then it'll be the stones. But how embarrassing if the stones are doing our job. Jesus is looking for disciples who will freely give of their resources as the Lord has need. Just like the owner of the colt. Who freely give of their resources as the Lord has need. Jesus is looking for disciples who will cry out, Hosanna, save us. And cry out praise and worship, even when those in power tell them to stop. Jesus is looking for disciples who will respond to the grace freely given to them beyond all means. Freely given, beyond all means, for us. Jesus is looking for disciples who will respond to this grace. And as we get into the Easter season, we're going to be talking about that com concept of being disciples even more and how disciples respond to God's grace. So, as we celebrate this Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry of Jesus, let us be those disciples. The disciples who respond to grace. The disciples who respond to grace beyond all of our means, beyond anything that we could ever offer, but we still respond. Let us pray.